boy. Okay. Chapter one, State and Rev. Let's go. Chapter one of the State and Revolution, which chapter one is class, society, and the state. And it starts off... It sounds super exciting. Yes. It starts off with the most evergreen little chunk of text I've ever heard in my life. It says, What is now happening to Marx's theory has, in the course of history, happened repeatedly to the theories of revolutionary thinkers and leaders of oppressed classes fighting for emancipation. During the lifetimes of great revolutionaries, the oppressing classes constantly hounding them received their theories with the most savage malice, the most furious hatred, and the most unscrupulous campaigns of lies and slander. After their deaths, attempts are made to convert them into harmless icons, to canonize them, so to speak, and to hallow their names to a certain extent for consolation. Of the oppressed classes with the object of duping the latter, while at the same time robbing their revolutionary theory of its substance, blunting its revolutionary edge, and vulgarizing it. If that... I, I, I cannot think of a better description of that than Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that, that, that should jump in your head, Martin Luther it King. It is the absolute... Because even, even Malcolm, they haven't tried to sanitize... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the you have the the liberals that are just like Martin Luther King is you know this great speech giver and he believed mm-hmm. in everyone in peace and kumbaya and he had a dream and then you have the right wingers that are like oh yeah Martin Luther King was really pro life and so kill the abortions or whatever the he hell he was one of the good ones we yeah. liked him yeah it's the other one and none of that is is really true at all about him he was. You know, I mean, here's the thing, right? They were writing laws about running over people, Black Lives Matter protesters who were blocking traffic. Martin Luther King's seminal protest, the the one that went to Selma, was them blocking traffic for miles in a giant march, directly confronting cops who beat the shit out of them and marching right the hell through. It just concluded in a speech. Yeah. You know, uh, Martin is the, is, I I can't. He was arrested, I don't know how many times for protests. And he, and they, I mean, they sent him suicide packages. I mean, they, they, Hoover want, if Hoover could have walked into the street and shot him in the head, he would have done it. Yeah. I mean, I think it was something like 20 something percent of the, the population supported him and the rest were 50, 50 between not caring and being totally Actively against, against him. Against, no, they, and yeah, I mean, it's the exact same numbers of black lives matter. And at the end of his life, when he started speaking out against the Vietnam war, oh, it was down to like 6% support. Oh yeah. But he was not afraid to say that shit. But they'll they'll strip out the Vietnam War. They'll strip out how he ripped on capitalism, you know. And that's a good thing. Like Re- Reverend Barber reminds us that Martin Luther King was was talking about anti capitalism and 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 you know his his war on poverty and what he wanted to to um or not war on poverty. That was the Democrat war. Yeah, that sounds like some Lyndon Johnson Great Society yeah, nonsense. No, but he was he wanted to actually fight poverty, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, he wanted to take that on. He's and he said, you know, you can't have the capitalism for it. Uh, they're starting to do that with Malcolm X now. Yeah. That's, I've noticed that recently that that I think even in the, my lifetime I felt that Looking shift. Like Cory Booker is, is yeah there. early early in my lifetime they uh, Malcolm still had the feel like that that, yeah, that like edgy that like Malcolm dude. like Martin Luther King was the good version and Malcolm X was bad and wanted to, was going to hurt people and now even he they're it's just getting sanitized in all of the yeah I mean it's and, insane and realistically I mean there's some things there's like you know the the, the CIA op, black socialist people that are that are uh, it's such an obvious obvious. and they're in there 
trying to blunt down the Black Panther Party. I was about to say, I was waiting for the tu- where's my touchy feely Fred Hampton. Yeah, I mean, where's- there's there's yeah, there's the Fred Hampton quotes and the love, and then all of a sudden it's like, but but we don't like them tankies, and we just want something that's not authoritarian. And like, are you fucking kidding me? The Black Panthers handed out Mao's the little Lord red book. book. They were they were they were either Maoist or more of them were explicitly Marxist Leninist. Yes. And if you, you have know. not gone down the internet hole of listening to just the we we have so little of it unfortunately, but just yeah. listen to Fred Hampton talk. Holy shit! Oh my god! If, the, if, if he would have survived, if he if they would not have murdered him, and they murdered him, they in cold murdered blood. him in cold and blood. Remember, straight the, up admitted it. It's documented. They did the it. the informant from the week before they murdered him. If you <laughs> went, we've talked about like human rights watch and Amnesty International, all these things are are these these NGOs are really just proponents of. Um, imperialism. They're not really these like caring people that are just, you know, speaking about human rights. The founder of Amnesty International was the FBI informant that told them, go ahead and kill Fred Hampton. He's getting too revolutionary. It was... Give the report. I mean, you can find the printed report. It's it's the amount... Yeah, that that is probably the easiest... If you want want one hole to poke, if you've got someone that still desperately believes the government doesn't just kill people randomly, holy shit. Oh, it was so explicitly... The case... If you want to know what cops are bad, I mean, the CPD did it. The FBI oh, said, go kill that one. Yeah, the oh, CPD no. did it. Yeah. It was from one cop to another. It was, it was, oh my God. That's, but yeah, that, that is, if you want to really, God, he was such a good speaker. Mm-hmm. He would have, revel- he would have radicalized a lot of people. He could yes. have really moved mountains. Yes. Was- and, and I don't want to get too big on this, but you'll kind of see this with, with a lot of the faux leftists. Um, where, you know, all of a sudden they can amplify um, people that deserve to be amplified and put on a pedestal like Thomas Sankara. Mm-hmm. But then they don't support like Maduro. Yeah. I mean, as long as they're dead, they support him yeah. or they stand no chance. Like there'll be these people that say anti-imperialist and thank God they're supporting Palestine. It's not like Palestine needs less support. They need more. Yeah. But they support Palestine because really they don't think they stand There's, a chance. Yeah, you're they never going to have to... too, yeah, too powerful. Never going to come to blows. But they're not out there like screaming for Haitians to take Haiti back. They're out there calling anyone who supports Syria an Assadist. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll take anyone who's they don't think is a real threat to power or is already dead and they'll glorify them and then they can't stand for actual existing socialism. They'll tell you, you know, China's eating up Uyghur Muslims with a fucking spoon or whatever the hell the CIA wants to hear. And that's really important too because you don't, you don't really need the right wingers. And we've said this before, you don't really need the right wingers to go to war. They're going to support it anyway and there's just not enough of them. Okay. You don't really need liberals, but you kind of do. So you need a story that can get the liberals on board, get it past their too gross zone. And then the last little thing that keeps you from having too big of an anti-war effort to, to stop your wars is you've got to get this faux left, the social democrats and the the quote unquote communists that all of a sudden, you know, they'll say, well, they're against authoritarianism when it comes to, to blows and all that. You need to get them to, to abandon the left, to stab people in the back and not really challenge power. And so it's very important that they stand up as quote unquote anti-imperialists and they'll they'll quote, you know, Ho Chi Minh and they'll they'll quote Thomas Sankara, but then all of a sudden like Xi Jinping is is an evil authoritarian and Nicolas Maduro is is truly an evil dictator. And even oh I oppose US intervention. They're doing but Maduro's bad. Chavez, like even just so recently, the the turn on Chavez. Oh yeah, they're, they're making it up again. The what same people the... would have would have lined him up and put him on the stake 
are now like, well, it, oh man, if they just had Chavez with this Maduro guy, well, he's, it's like, it's not like your mind. It's not like you can't be on the staff and turn on him. Um, I forget who it was that turned on Sankara and killed him, and it was like his second or third in command. But there's this girl that was in like Chavez's cabinet or on his campaign or something I'm, like that. I'm well, blind. and and she's totally like the U.S. big informant. She has her own love. and oh, Maduro's totally different than Chavez, and da da da. And that this is not the case. Maduro it, upholds the Bolivarian Revolution. Even if it was, you called Chavez. You're, are you guys? Are, is the American government literally trying to say we were on Chavez's Chavez? Is, are you kidding me? It was him and Mahmoud Ahmedinejad were like the grand satans for a while there. Like, yeah. and and now Mahmoud Ahmedinejad is just like a guy on Twitter, which is the weirdest thing to me. <laughs> like, I don't know why that blows my mind, but I've seen he's been like retweeted by Chapo Trap House. I'm like, what the fuck just happened here? Yeah, but you know, Chapo wouldn't be retweeted if he was still in power. No, you know oh, that. Fuck no. Yeah. Fuck no. So it's the same kind of thing. So you yeah. can see this in real time. Yeah. You know, it's, what he's saying. And he's talking specifically in this case, again, to get back to the context. Yes, 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 yes. About Marx being abused so that you could take Marx's words, Marx's specific words and works. And you can say, look, Marx said this here. Engels said this here. And so, you know, we've got to do this and turn it into this opportunism. And it's literally, by the time he's writing this, it's been less than, since Capital was pumped. Less than fifty years. I mean, we're yeah. not ta- we're talking a gen- less than a generation of time. This isn't a oh yeah, well well removed kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like less than thirty years since uh, Engels' death, and less than forty since Marx. Yeah, exactly. But even since the, even since the words have come up, since the since the concept was birthed, essentially. I mean, it would be the equivalent of of trying to, I guess, really. Well, re- I don't want to say less than fifty before his birth, because like eighteen forty eight was kind of the, yeah. A lot of that. Yeah, yeah. So big, it's it's hard. But to, we're still talking like less than seventy five. Exactly. Years. This is not. So so when we're talking about Martin Luther King and we're talking about these again, that's the contemporary that's the time frame. Yeah. That's the exact time frame that Lenin is talking about in relation to Marx here. Yes. So Lenin goes on. All the social chauvinists are now Marxists. Don't laugh. laugh. <laughs> you can tell he read some Marx. Yes. <laughs> and more and more frequently, German bourgeoisie scholars, only yesterday, specialists in the annihilation of Marxism, are speaking of the national German Marx, who they claim are educated the labor unions, which are so splendidly organized for the purpose of waging a predatory war. This is the same Marx that was exiled from Germany, right? Right, yeah. Okay, the same all one. right. The yeah. same one. Yeah, I'm sure he was real committed to the German national cause. Yes. Uh, so we're going to come a little bit past where he explicitly calls out Kautsky, because we gave you that background. Yeah, we know that. Uh, so we're going to say the first thing he's going to quote, because he went through all these works, is he's going to quote, Engels. Most well, popular work. Most popular work. With the lamest title of any popular work the I've ever The Origin heard. of the Family, Private Property, and the State. Now, I alluded to in the introduction to this, uh, we don't normally say like, oh, a reading assignment, like we're some kind of teacher. Uh, but there are some really short works out there. Yeah. And um, I'm probably, I don't know if this is going to be a gimmicky thing we pick up the episodes or if this is something I'm just doing with State and Rev. But there will be at least two works I assigned here. So we split this into two episodes. It'll be one each episode. We split into more. Who knows? Uh, I want you all, after we're done with this chapter, to read The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State. Please, it's very short. It's not a hard work. You go through. We're going to quote it here, but please read the whole thing after this episode. Also, worst case scenario, if uh, if if we get to that, maybe as as a short mashup day, we'll do that. I say and... bonus content, but since I I literally have a cave in my basement that I can do this, I may just 
I'm sure it's in the public domain. I'm sure I can record it. No one's going to get mad. The Angles family won't get mad at me. Um, oh, I, yeah. I may just, just, I'll just record it and put it up on the channel, the whole work, if you want to just be able to digest it in this there, format. There you go. There you go. The, the other one I'm going to do that on is on authoritarianism, but that's going to come up later in the book. Okay. Okay. So from uh, Angles' most popular work, yeah. The Origin of Family, Private Such Property, a, and the State. God, come up with better <laughs> titles, dude. Summing up on his historical analysis, Engels says, The state is therefore by no means a power force on society from without, just as little as it's the reality of the ethical idea, image, and reality of reason, as Hegel maintains. Rather, it is a product of society at a certain stage of development. It is the admission that the society has become entangled in an insoluble contradiction within itself, that it has to split into irreconcilable antagonisms which it is powerless to dispel. But in order for these antagonisms, these classes with conflicting economic interests might not consume themselves and society in fruitless struggle, it became necessary to have a power seemingly standing above society, seemingly is a big word there, Mm -hmm. that would alleviate the conflict and keep it within the bounds of quote-unquote order. And this power arisen out of society but placing itself above it and alienating itself more and more from it is the state. So this is really, really big is, you know, I mean, again, and he'll say this right below. It says the state is a product and a manifestation of irreconcilability of class antagonisms. The state arises, and this is Lenin's words now, the state arises where, when, and insofar as class antagonisms objectively cannot be reconciled. And conversely, the existence of a state proves that class antagonisms are irreconcilable. That's the very, very the presence of a state proves that there is a class above another class and that you can't find a solution that's good for anyone. So this whole reformist thing like, oh, we'll just well, pick... you can't s- find a solution that's good for everyone. You can't find one that's good for the ruling class because right. they do that constantly. Right. So you can't you can't go in and say, oh, let's pick Kumbaya and just do these smarter things and that's the best thing for everyone. That's not going to happen. Yeah. There are these states' explicit purpose is to find solutions where people go head to head and it's going to pick a side okay and it's never really picking your side when it seems to be picking your side it's picking your side just enough to keep you from revolting and gaining real power and taking on the ruling class and being the ruler celebrating that we got minimum wage to $15 and acting like that is our great victory and we've won and what's sad is that was a living wage when the movement started a few years ago and it's not going to it's it's not necessarily scaled for inflation not even a little bit and it's going to become $15 in certain regions of the country by 2020 or 2022, which is in the future, it's not even a good $15 solution. No, it's and it's literally again, but it's a perfect it's a perfect example of we're going to give you this appearance of a victory that yeah. you can celebrate that will shut you up and get you go away for a while. You get to think you won, and we get to laugh because we know we changed nothing about the power dynamics. We still have everything we want. Right, right. I mean, they're still going to grow exponentially in power. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's back to again why all these works tie together. Mark said it. You can't you can't pay your people so much that they die. You have to keep them alive. So if you make it look like you're benevolent when you keep them alive, all the better for you. Right. I'm the job provider. I'm putting food on your table. Oh, I will consider to give you $15 so that you don't starve and don't get to come to work for me. Right. Scrooge, Scrooge gives your family a ham instead of a duck because he's, he's the great, great Man, I had to read that the other day. I, I, my, my kid was reading that on the, the Disney version the of that. The solution is still bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that book's weird. That, that's a weird that's tale. It's fucking awful. Fucking I can't Dickens. believe we all know it. The poor! Yeah, Dickens! <laughs> 
So a little lower, he says, according to Marx, the state is an organ, organ of class rule, and he emphasizes rule, an organ for the oppression of one class by another. It is the creation of order that legalizes and perpetuates this oppression by moderating conflict between classes. Oh, you can't do it violently. Mm -hmm. So like you have this actual grievance and you're going to win fighting for this grievance because there is more of you. Yep. Well, that's violent. We can't have that. We have to have calm Go to the courts order. and go through the go through this exponentially We need gate. to make sure you bring the law. We need to make sure you pay your debt. That just keeps society churning. We don't want this crazy crumbling anarchy. We want these nice nice set society. Go vote every four years and maybe if you're lucky we'll not gerrymander the why thing don't, around. Why don't you run for president? Oh yeah, we just <laughs> need the right people to be you know, why don't, you know, I think the best one I saw, and again, but we're not if there's anything we don't do, it's hold people up too terribly higher, but the someone on Twitter if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was so good at creating jobs she'd have been a bar owner instead of a bartender like, just the amount of like, like <laughs> high-fiving libertarian ha gotcha I, I i mean my brain shut down for a while i got very <laughs> sad i went i went and curled up i mean it was it's just so bad yeah it's just, so it's bad. just just pure brain worms um, but those brainworms aren't stupidity. They're, they're ideology just gripping their thoughts. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's stupidity. I mean, come on. We, let's, not, let's not get too carried away. I'm not okay. But let's not overemphasize stupidity because that could That's a good... It's a good point. It's a yes. good point. Uh, not... Doesn't make it less true, though. All right. So in the opinion of the petty bourgeois politicians, or petty bourgeois politicians, however, order means the reconciliation of classes and not the oppression of one class by another. They're just good people. Yeah. It's... I'm just... I'm the good cop. I'm just protecting people. I'm just doing what's best. The petty, um, those are the those are the petty bourgeois people on Twitter that whenever you fucking bring up class uh, class based conflict call you div, call you divisive right for, divisive for, for reminding racist. everybody you're that you're Russian, all on the you're same Russian body you're all you're... on the same fucking team and there's really just uh, no it's it's not divisive if I'm a Krasenstein or whatever the fuck their name is and I'm saying I've got my blue wave and I say that every Republican should die but if I point out the fact that maybe it's not Republicans and Democrats no I'm the one dividing us that's my fault <laughs> I'm sorry I'm I'm, I'm to alleviate the conflict means reconciling the classes and not depriving the oppressed classes of definite means and methods of struggle to overthrow oppressors. Yeah. Yeah. So Lenin is, I mean, he's very clear there. He's, they're not solving anything. No. So They're just removing the, the tools you would normally, a normal person in a state of nature or, or anything like that would naturally, uh, you know, gravitate to, to solve their problem. Hey, we're getting oppressed by these people. We should go kill them all. Let's create a state where that's frowned upon and there's a lot of weird routes you'd have to go through before yeah. that would be a thing. Now, he's going to cite his own revolution in 1917, <laughs> and there are times where he, and he'll spell it out, socialist revolutionaries, there are times when he talks about the SRs and he means the right SRs, and there are times when he talks about the SRs and he means all of them. In this case, I'm pretty sure he means all of them. It's also pretty ballsy to be able to cite your own revolution. <laughs> In the middle of it. I was about to say. It was, he was writing this. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't over yet. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> look at this revolution. Those guys are really smart that started that one over I there. I will say, I will say, chapter six is the perfect, perfect um, encapsulation of this. Yeah. It, it, it's good that Lenin's cocky. Lenin is so cocky that chapter six is his ultimate hu humility. Like, this is where I got duped. And he's cocky in the chapter. Lenin is humble. He's cocky. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's, he's... <laughs> he, 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 knows, he knows shit that stinks and shit that don't. And he knows which one's his. 
Uh, so anyway, he says, in the revolution of 1917, the question of the significance of the rose of the state arose in all its magnitude as a practical question, demanding immediate action, and moreover, on a massive scale, all the social revolutionaries and Mensheviks descended at once to the petty bourgeois... The, the, Petty bourgeois theory that the state reconciles classes. Oh, it just it just makes everything better. Yep. You know, it just it reconciles them. Now, I will say that that reconciles is a bad word that Lenin used against here, and yet I'll use it casually because it it reconciles the conflict, but it always reconciles them in an oppressive way for the rulers. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Here's some humble pie. Lenin's reminding me that my word's bad. <laughs> <laughs> So innumerable revolutions and articles by politicians of both these parties are thoroughly saturated with this petty bourgeois and Philistine reconciliation theory that the state is an organ of rule of the definite class that cannot be reconciled with its antipode, the class opposite to it, is something that petty bourgeois Democrats will never be able to understand. They just can't. They don't understand that they're not doing the right thing. They think they're really taking the working class and the ruling class and just solving the conflicts, working it out. We did it in court. It all got got taken care of. We're all good. And we, as, as we sarcastically this... as we will say that, and we should say that once you kind of figure it out, there is something they... to be said there of they probably do a, a, a number of them. Do some of them absolutely know it's a grift? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do some of them genuinely believe they're doing the right thing and the only way they know how to do it and that they think that this is the means to the end and how they're going to do it? Probably. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, wrong. Well, but I mean, probably yeah, there's, there's some of that in everything, you know. I mean, you're yes. gonna have you're gonna have newscasters that really think anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, and that Maduro's really denying humanitarian aid. But there's also plenty that know it's a grift, or it wouldn't happen, yeah. you know. And then there's yeah. some that kind of know it's a grift, and they don't like it, but they just are afraid to lose their jobs. I'm about and, to say, you need jobs, and, and that's that's opportunism right there. You know, that's exactly yeah. opportunism by definition. Um, so he says, their attitude to the state is one of the most striking manifestations of the fact that our socialist revolutionaries and Mensheviks are not socialists at all, a point we Bolsheviks have always maintained, but petty bourgeois Democrats using near-socialist phraseology. AOC! Yeah, I was going to say, where where else have we seen that? <laughs> mm. Burning. All right, in the middle of the next paragraph, he says, if the state is a product of recon if irreconcilability of class antagonisms, if it is a power standing above society, and alienate itself more and more from it, it is clear that the liberation of oppressed class is impossible, not only without a violent revolution, but also without the destruction of the apparatus of the state power, which has created the ruling class and which is the embodiment of this alienation. If the state is really this... Um, I can't think of the word... Um above uh, divine if it's really okay. this, if it's really this divine thing just thrust upon us to solve all our problems and is not solving our problems we can't take it in our own hands unless we smash that divine thing otherwise yeah. its divinity is always going to come down on us by their own words this has to be smashed yeah. is what Lenin's saying so he's going to go on to special bodies of armed men and this is an interesting uh, again back yeah. to one of the few, again, we need to point it out when they're when they are and they're not. This is one of the few times, and it was pointed out in the introduction that Lenin kind of got. He had a lot going on. He was yeah. he took in a lot of notes. Um, he cites this as if it is absolutely a thing that Engels said. Um, the special bodies of armed men and the bi the bibliography on it essentially is like no, Lenin just kind of read that wrong, made it up, and kind of split. The concept is the same, but 
special bodies of armed men is absolutely a Lenin creation. It's not something that yeah. came sprung out of angles. He yes. thought it did. He cited it like it was. That doesn't make it wrong. It's just pointed out where it's there. But it's something, and we'll describe what they are in one second. It's something that was proved to be very true. Yeah, And we see it every day in our lives. Yes. So let's get through the misquoted angles. <laughs> Let's get through the Lenin talking we, about it, and then let's the, let's bloviate because we're kind of touched on some of them. <laughs> let's bloviate. Let's bloviate on, on the special body of our men. So he says, Engels continues as distinct from the old Gentile order. The state first divides its subjects according to territory. The division seems natural to us, but it caused a prolonged struggle against the old organization of generations or tribes. The second distinguishing feature of this is establishment of public power, which no longer directly coincides with the population organizing itself as an armed force. This special public power is necessary because of self-acting armed organization of the population has become impossible since we split into two classes. This public power exists in every state. It consists not merely of armed men, but also of material, adjuncts, prisons, institutions, and coercions of all kinds, with Gentile society knowing nothing. I think at some point we're going to need to come up with, with distinct uh, uh, accent voices so that we know when we're talking about Ingalls, Lenin, and Marx. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying at some point in post-production, I'm going to have okay. to put a weird German accent on this so that we know who is who. And put um, a weird Russian accent on the other part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lenin will, will have a weird Russian one. Ingalls has a weird German one. And, and <laughs> Marx also has a German one, but it'll be different and his beard will be less impressive. Yeah, you know, we'll see. Just, we, got, we got Papa Carl, Papa Freddy, mm, and Papa Vova. Yeah. And we'll just... <laughs> oh, man. All so, right. So yeah, that I mean that, and that's yeah. this is that's the, the Lenin quote or the Engels quote, quote. I mean, the Engels quote. It's, I'm it's sorry. interesting because it a lot of Engels stuff is just again we I think we talked about this off air before we got on, but it Engels for whatever reason the way he speaks seems much more direct to me, and maybe it's just because it's being quoted and so it has to be direct, but. That just makes so much damn sense. Like, yeah. yeah, of course that's how that happens. Yeah, well, Engels is is a little less romantic. <laughs> I think just... that's, that may be why I'm really good at him. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't, yeah, all right, this makes sense. Though. Yeah, I mean, there's the less of the fun barbs, although he certainly has them. He's a lot more dry. <laughs> I can work with that. His titles definitely, definitely are. Yeah, titles are bad. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, Lenin now continues, what does this power mainly consist of? It consists of special bodies of armed men having prisons, etc. at their command. Now, I hope you're starting to understand what we're talking about yeah. a little bit. We are justified in the speaking of special bodies of armed men because the public power is an attribute of every state does not directly coincide with the armed population with its self-acting armed organization. Okay, deep-rooted, but one might say petrified. A standing army of police are the chief instruments of state power. Or standing army and police yeah. are the chief instruments of state power. And that, but how can it be otherwise? Sorry, I cut you off there. Yeah, but how can it be otherwise? That's yeah, like yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I, I quote basically the next two paragraphs here, but let's start real quick before we get into that. Go for it. Okay, so let's talk about what that is. Okay, first off, cops. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cops, and again, you think they're conflict revolution. You think of them as, as the people that, like, you know, they'll come in when you have a car wreck and they'll fill out a report. The ones that show up two hours later, fill out a piece of paper, and you never see them again. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, and then you have to go there in person with a, a um, um, what do you call, where they validate validate your signature Notary. notarized signature just to get your report for your car accident for gap insurance it fucking sucks uh so anyway I, I guess not enough people have gap insurance and it's a wonderful thing but it also sucks ass to go through the rigmarole of 
Uh, but anyway, you know, I mean, cops just, they, they don't fucking, like, they're supposed to be the ones that, that help out with rapes, and yet they're they're some of the biggest rapists out there. The ones supposed to help out domestic violence, but their rate of domestic violence is over four times that of non-police households. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're supposed to stop murders, and they think, our judge, jury, and executioner murdering cold blood a thousand people a year. I mean, if you're this deep in, if you're this deep into this particular podcast, maybe you haven't gotten there. I don't know. But if you haven't figured out the cops are not on your team, you are. Yeah. You are, we, 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 I have a, I have a shocking revelation for you. They're not. They're yeah. not on your team. And again, I mean, this is back to the, like thinking there. There's probably lots of cops that think they're doing the right thing and and just and the crimes are bad and crimes are actually immoral and they're just stopping the criminals. But just are like, they? I mean, but you never, yeah, you never ask, like, you never ask the morality of crimes. You just did crime. And then they'll get to the point where it's right in front of them. You know, something went wrong and, and they're doing something wrong. But hey, man, they're just doing their job is what they tell it just, themselves. It just is so. And they never ask, well, does that make the job wrong? And and how many times does it actually stop crime? Like, again, they're reactionary to crime. It's not yeah. like they're pre, it's not like minority report. They don't show up and stop the guy from murdering someone. Well, that's true. Don't tell that to them because then they're going to start going broken windows. Policy. No, I, I get it. But like, they don't, <laughs> they don't stop crime. So like, what is their function? Yeah. And, and it's not to say that, that, you know, I mean, let's say there's a dictatorship of the proletariat. Well, the dictatorship of the proletariat is making you as the proletariat, the ruling class and resolving conflicts. And, and again, you know, pressing back down, reversing this oppression yeah. on the bourgeoisie. Yeah. So that can be just. But uh, police that are, are for the bourgeoisie, they're just coming down on you. That's again, all if you're and in the ruling class, again, don't get me wrong. If Jeff Bezos, if you're listening to this, the cops are absolutely on your side. It's the rest of us that they're not on our team. Right, and there's times where they can stand on your side. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, you're a homeowner, and yeah, I, someone damages your house. If well, there goes a brick through the pod cave window, then yeah, well, I, we'll go get the cops on this one. Right, I mean, because, you know, hey, they're happy to protect property. Yeah. <laughs> they're happy to probably tell themselves sometimes that they protect people. You know, your kid gets kidnapped. Well, you don't have, there's there's not the kid kidnapping task force of the community, like there, I mean, honestly should, should be. be. You kind of have to go to the cops. That's, mm-hmm. that's who there is. And God damn it, you want your kid back. Unless, of course, you know, you had the, uh, uh, let's say you had a group of people that were willing to, you know, patrol the streets themselves and, and take care of their own communities and make sure so you didn't have to have a police force in there and they right, were way better we at solving conflict. I mean, we, uh, we wouldn't, we would absolutely welcome one of those if they existed, but nothing that wild that would ever. Choice. Yeah, I mean, you want someone directing traffic as a stoplight goes down, Department of Transportation should be taking care of that. They don't send Department of Transportation out, they send a fucking cop. I mean, I was making a not veiled right. reference to the Black Panthers, but I mean, yeah. that's just, okay, I'm just making sure, just making sure it didn't get glossed over. Like, we had okay. that, and okay. they absolutely hated it and took it away. Yeah, oh yeah, they, they literally scared, murdered That scared the shit. Like, when you just have, like, like armed citizens patrolling their own streets, taking care of their own problems... Holy and, shit! And there were, the there were a hell of a lot less problems. Even when they do these community policing games, which they have to work very hard and have to put a lot of public pressure on to make them concede for, and they go extremely well. Oh, good, your day trial went great. Maybe we'll just shake hands and think of solutions in the future. You don't instantly get community policing. No. You know, I mean, and it works much better. You see these community policing days and murders plummeted. There was one where there was like no violence or something like that that they did in Baltimore. It was incredible. Um, you know, so you you just see see these specific things that we can take care of and you look at the other thing is the standing army of course <laughs> and again you know it's no secret the army goes out and what do they do their job is to kill people and the idea is that the killing is justified because it's defending something well i'm sorry but if someone goes over to iraq and shoots a kid between the eyes 
what the fuck freedom did I get? What what have what has been defended of me? More importantly, even even more to this to the state though, in, in terms of enforcing state power, we're we're talking about it. You know, you talk about the military as an international force that goes yeah. outside of our boundaries. How many as an impediment to National internal Guard. revolution? How many people who want to be? I mean, you I hear it all the time. Um, since I've gotten, you know, when I start talking to people about, you know, okay, well, we might need, you know, th- probably the only way it's going to get done is a violent revolution. The number one thing everyone says, oh, it'll never work is with the, the military. Yeah, the military is too big. Just the, th- just the concept of its existence yeah. is enough to squash. And yet these are all volunteer people. And not shockingly, I mean, some of them think they're they're really defending this freedom or whatever, stopping whatever faux terrorists they, they've got in there. But really what you've got overwhelmingly, they come home and the percentage of military that goes in the KKK, I think it's like 40% versus like 11% of the white population. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. Um, they join three percenters and literally patrol around. And again, you know, I mean, there's CPD cops that destroy water and arrest you for leaving water for people because they're trying to kill people in the desert for daring to immigrate here. Um, usually to reunite with their family or sometimes because they're fleeing, fleeing violence the U.S. created overseas. Uh, but then you have the three percenters or volunteer military veterans that go out and they just kill with impunity. The cops just let them because they're, they see them as on their side and they're just like, oh, I'm an army veteran and I've got a truck. I'm going to drive around Arizona and just find some Mexican in the desert and shoot them. I think they're an immigrant. They probably are. Vigilanteism is fun. That's always worked out well. Yeah, and those are the type of people that, like, when you hear the Second Amendment, we talked about before, like, we're totally for gun rights. Why would we want to give up our guns to our oppressors? So don't listen to that liberal bullshit. But obviously the Second Amendment was a white supremacist thing to make sure that if you accidentally, you know, if they accidentally lost power, they have their little arm militias to take it back. Well, Three percenters are the Second Amendment militias. And look at when, look, again, we. I don't know why I'm on Black Panthers today, like, hard, but oh, yeah. it's just a thing. When did, wait, when the Republicans, the right, were all of a sudden freaking out and going on on oh, heavily yeah. in on gun control. Reagan was all why, over. Why are we talking get, about concealed carry get, laws and not open carry get laws? Guns, get guns out. Get guns out. Get guns out. Only when the Black Panthers showed up to a courthouse with guns legally were like, we can do this. Yeah. We, we absolutely are within the law and it terrifies you. Yeah, and they didn't listen to the Second Amendment then because no. the Black Panthers weren't fulfilling the ideology of the exactly. Second Amendment. Even if they were following it to a letter. But you also look at and something we've mentioned before and we need to mention it again in case you haven't heard that episode. Uh, the United States has more guns than anyone. Okay, and so you hear Not all this... Close. What's that? Not even close. And that's why you hear all this gun violence. Well, because we're a huge exporter of violence. We have the five largest weapons manufacturer. We glorify cops and they're killing people on the street and we know it. We glorify the army going out and killing these supposed terrorists. And, and of course, more military people kill more women and children specifically. Not If, if you combine male civilians and combatants, mm-hmm. there's less deaths than women and children civilians in these warfares. And of course, male civilians are still civilians. And, and male, not children, civilians, obviously. But yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous what they do. And we're we glorifying made the show them. 24. Right. That show existed well, there's, for like there's shows seven like, years. There's shows like Homeland. There's all kinds of propaganda bullshit out there. I mean, that show was cited by national policymakers. Yeah, and this isn't, getting like, this isn't getting into like shows like SWAT or Chicago PD or how the Fuck Army... Fuck the entire Thursday block on NBC. That's gone. We Wait, don't CBS even... is worse, too. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and let's not forget like how you know the Department of Defense like literally reviews scripts to make sure it paints them in a good but enough look, light. I think, wasn't it like 
like Rumsfeld and Cheney, like one of them got up and said, you, you wouldn't want to take, you wouldn't want to stop Jack Bauer from doing the right thing, would you? Like we can't make yeah. this regulation on, they wore it on their we sleeve. can't get rid of torture, but Jack, you trust Jack Bauer? To, it's a fucking, oh my God. <laughs> like how, like. Yeah. And everyone was just okay with that. Yeah, but I mean, look at it, the way you're forced to like clap and salute troops, and it's a, I mean, the ultimate faux pas in in society is not even like saying you're a Nazi. People get away with that all the time. It's saying you don't support the troops. <gasps> oh my God, you don't support the troops. I literally think you know? I've never been more uncomfortable than the the last uh, uh, hockey game I was at. But you didn't they, stand for the National Anthem? I, not the National Anthem. They, that one yeah. I didn't stand for anyway. That one was fine. Yeah. It was the... the salute, oh, the, the, God. The, the, the thing in the middle of the second period where it's in literally... I mean, every single person was standing up. Every single person. It's so bad. And I'm just not... And I'm like... Really? This yeah, is but, okay. But this is something Lennon talks about. You know, I mean, they're they're supposed to be people above you. They get canonized. These cops are better than you. They're heroes. These military people are better than you. The heroes. Why are they better than you? Well, because they're willing to kill for the state. Rage Against the Machine lyrics. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, and it's the thing. These people aren't better than you. Right. And let's let's even take this dry thing. Let's let's say, OK, we're totally radical. And how dare we read this Lenin and and, you know, all these right wing like communists lie, lies about communists and, you know, killing and all this bullshit. OK, let's just take that at face value. Why are people better than you if they go kill some brown person way over there or if they jack off on a boat for a year and a half? Or if they drive around Korea and maybe they're one of the 90% that don't run over kids for fun. You know, I mean, what the fuck? These are the biggest rapists out there, you know, and, and so they're they're the cops around the world. And there's also leftists that are against cops, but support the military or against the military and the wars, but support cops. And that doesn't make sense. They're the same thing. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, let's, let's be very clear. Like, of course, there's... "Quote-unquote good cops and bad cops that are more explicitly aware of what they do, or more murderous, or worse at their jobs, or more corrupt. There's the ones that plant drugs on people all the time, and and you see, uh, what's uh, oh god, what's the one where they they had the no knock shooting, and then they there was cocaine in the cops' car. It was pretty obviously oh, they went in to murder yeah, the guy yeah, it was, it was, in Texas. Um, was it Texas? I think it was Texas. Why do I feel like it was in? It might have been in Texas. No, it was really recent. I mean, there's I like a thousand of these deaths a year. I was say, there are so many. We're just talking about one of the famous ones, and I can't think can't... of the name of the the yeah, guy. Jesus. Um, but anyway, you know, I mean, you have these these things where you these good. It doesn't matter if they're the good ones; they're part of upholding the system. Yes. And so you might have you might not know any black people and have a neighbor or a friend or a brother who's in the army or a cop. If they're good to you, and they go do something horrible. And even if they're one of the good ones, quote unquote, who are doing it for the right reasons, quote unquote, and don't kill people, you know, or whatever, they're still upholding the system as a volunteer. Yeah. You know, there's no fucking such thing as blue lives. Yeah. No one is getting drafted. They're volunteering for this yep. to uphold the system. They are still wrong by being part of the system. If the cops didn't kill a thousand people a year, if they were just this armed guard of the state who held your oppressors in power and nothing more, if the U.S. wasn't this horrible imperial power, they were just the armed guards of the state, nothing more, they would already all be bad from what yeah. the system is themselves. And then you stack on that our military is the biggest polluter, the biggest creator of global warming in the world, the biggest merchant of death and oppression in the world, the biggest rapist in the world. You take cops and you have, what, 29 states where there's laws where you can have sex with someone in handcuffs in a cop car. Now, 
the cops don't need laws. They don't all follow laws. But, but they, the fact that they were what does that law even mean? That is explicitly legalized rape. There is literally no for cops. Oh my God. And you better believe like a sex worker. Well, you can't report something. I'll just arrest you for yeah. being a prostitute. Yeah. Now you have no power, you know? And of course, that's when we say cops like Kamala Harris, who's a DA. She's not out on the streets, like harassing someone, but she's shutting down Blackpage and throwing, you know, hundreds of sex workers back out on the street more dangerously. She's supporting uh, SESTA and FOSTA, who, which is upped up, you know, dangers of, of assaults and, and violence and deaths of sex workers. She actively advocated not releasing people on minor drug charges because it would affect the prison labor population. Yeah, I mean, and of course we have the slave labor in the 13th Amendment issue there too, and of course people probably don't like hearing that if you know a cop and you don't know a black person, or you know a black person that's maybe suburban and wealthy and, and isn't part of these like poor black communities that are being terrorized. Um, so you know the good black person, quote unquote. And so, you know, what's it to you? Right. My black friend says it's OK. And I have these friend cops and they're nice guys. Why would I hate them? You know, and all. but this is what they do. This is the system they are. And on top of all of that, and this is just like even in the white supremacy benefits you. It's still what's upholding your oppression. OK, you may not be these victims of the this imperialism overseas. You may not be the black indigenous people of color slammed down by white supremacy. And you may get some benefits from not being hindered by the cops, but being able to say, call the cops if someone breaks your house. Okay, mm -hmm. cool, fine, whatever. What the cops stand for representing prevents you from ever being able to take the real power. And so when you sit there going, oh, yeah, no, I couldn't ever be president. Oh, yeah, no, I'll never be rich enough to, to stop working. Oh, yeah, I have this medical debt. I'm always going to be one bill from bankruptcy, one bill from losing my house or apartment or car. The cops in the army are upholding that. Mm -hmm. Period. End of story. And it's not shocking that there are huge close associations with explicit white supremacy, explicit violence, domestic violence, rape from all these sources. And even the, the subtle things like when you think of PTSD and you think of, of you know, veterans and that way they're always more victims when PTSD is much bigger by the victims of U.S. imperialism and is much bigger among just general rape victims than any cop or army people. You know, and you don't think of that. You think PTSD oh, has gone in war and you know, it's not what PTSD comes from mostly. You know, and so all of these little things, you know, the saluting the troops, the the blue, you know, thin blue lines, all that stuff, the good cop, bad cop narratives, all these things that even seem like these mediocre concessions where you're just taking two sides and falling in the middle. It's actively upholding the oppression. And even if it benefits you, that's how holding the oppression of millions of people worldwide, yeah. millions of people within the U.S. And it's upholding your oppression that keeps your life from being even better, having more power, being less alienated from your labor, those kinds of things. Um, so that's what we're talking about, the armed guard of the state. And this, uh, to me, that's there, there's a lot more centers of this book, but to me, that's the center of chapter one right there. Oh, for sure. Um, so let's continue on the paragraph four. It says, from the viewpoint of the vast majority of Europeans of the end of the 19th century, whom Engels was addressing and who had not gone through or closely observed a single great revolution, it could have not been otherwise. Yeah. They could not understand at all what self-acting armed organization of the population was. And if you want an example, look at Cuba. Now, I was just saying, U.S. has the most, you know, we export the most violence. We have the most weapons. We have the most weapon manual. Of course, we have the school shooting, things like that. That's what we're exporting overseas, finally coming back to us in smaller percentages. Uh, but also, and among that, I think it's like, what is it, 13% of Americans own guns? But oh, I wouldn't have it's, it's insane amounts in small hands yeah. that have it. Whereas, like, Cuba is not 
the first in gun, you know, in, in number of weapons. But like 75% of the Cuban population owns a gun because they, they it's the people. The yeah. people are the army. There's not this like formal hired army. Now there is. I mean, they have a formal army, but it's of the people. And you better believe it because the people would just overthrow the government. If you don't feel like you and your friends can grab some guns and overthrow the government, if it's really what's widely popular by, by the population, then you're living under an oppressive force and you're explicitly recognizing that. And if you're explicitly recognizing that, the only way to end that force, because it'll just get stronger and stronger over time, is to organize, of course. You you can't take these individual actions. We talk about organizing and explicitly overthrow those oppressors. Again, I think the the study study generally between 3.5 and 5% is what you need, depending on how crazy you want to get in terms of what percent of your population it would take. Yeah. To do that. It's not... And under- I mean, that's not 3 to 5% thinking you maybe have a good idea. No, that's no, no, willing no. to die. Exactly. Committed, committed people. In this country, 11 to 15 million, give or take. Yeah. what you would take. Yeah. And so when asked why it became necessary to have special bodies of armed men above society and alienating themselves from it, these guys are better than it. We, you know, these, these cops, you got to clap and these are our first responders where we pretend like police are as important as firemen and ambulance and then put them front and center of all the quote-unquote first responder stuff such bullshit um you know, the Western European and Russian Philistines are inclined to utter a few phrases borrowed from Spencer and Melkovsky to refer to the growing complexity of social life, the different functions, and so on. Such references seem scientific and effectively, so like it seems right, seems good. So it effectively lulls the ordinary person asleep by obscuring the important basic fact, namely the split of society into irreconcilable antagonistic classes. They say like, well, what if what if someone, you know, murdered someone or raped you? Wouldn't you want a cop there? What if someone was attacking America? Wouldn't you want someone to protect you? You know, and that that's the seemingly scientific stuff that lulls you into sleep where you, you take a step back and you go, oh, or, or aren't the people America top... And this is why their lies about foreign leaders are so important. Aren't the people America toppling really bad? Aren't you really protecting the Venezuelan people? you know, that kind of thing. And it's to, to lull you to sleep. So you don't see that this is explicitly a ruling class out there pillaging oil and oppressing you into labor and, and all those kinds of well, things. Well, they make you think it, it has to be this way. Again, mm-hmm. when they explain it, right wing, right, any sort of conservative political or political economy or economy yeah. in general, all is designed to make it appear as if this is the natural way of life and that mm-hmm. it isn't any other way and that if you were even if you try it, it makes so it, it paints anything in, in the socialist communist sphere as, as some unnatural aberration that'll always collapse and die even though every socialist nation has been targeted by the west every single time i mean never allowed like it, oh it'll die on its own it's unnatural but we had to go to this great cold. We had to have this entire cold war specifically trying to collapse it for 50 years in order to get it to stop. Yeah. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. And again, if you pick at it for a while, it obviously doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but the more they make you think, well, it has to, it, it wouldn't exist any other way. You have to have a rich person. You have to have a poor person. Uh, it's just the way it is. You, have to, have, different. you have to have the army protecting mm-hmm. your country yeah. from the jealous people trying to observe that no, you have to, you have to have these cops to stop the bad guy criminals. Yeah. And all this, and they, for, they, they planted in your head so many ways and, over so many years. And for the, for the record, the, the Spence, when they're talking about, they quote, you know, phrases from Spencer and Mulkowski, Herbert Spencer, invented the phrase survival of the fittest um that's that's what we're talking about here it's social darwinism essentially it's this concept that well you know uh, 
you know, the strong survive and everything else, and you use that to justify what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, and he's talking about the split in classes here. It says, were it not for the split, the self-acting armed organization of the population would differ from the primitive organization of a stick-wielding herd of monkeys or of primitive men or of men in united clans by its complexity, its high technical level, and so on, but such an organization would still be possible. So what he's saying is you don't have to have this divinity from authority. These aren't better men. You could just have the angry mob of the public because they would act upon the people. Yeah. Okay, you would just have better organization, better technology, better ways to carry it out. That's all you would have. You don't have to have, you know, these special cops going to Israel to train how to, like, you know, attack Palestinians so they can come home and supposedly protect you and turn it on black people. You know, I mean, that's that's what he means. Groups protect themselves. Yes, groups. A a, a tribe, a clan, or whatever. Human history, we will always... It's not like we're just like wandering around aimlessly. You get together with whatever your group is yeah. and you've, you've defended I mean, let's imagine you're hanging out with yourself. your buddies or you're at a family, you know, event or something like that. And someone comes in from the outside and starts attacking like one of the kids there or one of your buddies. You fucking defend them. You don't just stand there and go, whoa, call the cops. Oh, God. Yeah, right. You you fucking defend them. And the only time you do go, whoa, well, call the cops because you've been trained that these people are above you and they're the great problem solvers. The natural inclination is to defend them. If you were in, because part of you is conditioned that only the cops are allowed to use that kind of force. Yeah. If you Which were to ridiculous. do something to defend them, you're going to be in trouble because you're not allowed to use that kind of force to defend yeah, them. Yeah, which is ridiculous. It's telling you you can't defend your own person. When you're there on the spot doing it, you have to bring in these special people or you'll get in trouble for daring to defend the person. But your natural inclination is still to defend them. People defend themselves. And and Lenin will get into later how democracy is necessary under some kind of class issue, okay, um, where where there's class antagonisms, whether it's a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie that we live in now or a dictatorship of the proletariat later. But eventually, once we emancipate class, you wouldn't even need that because the decisions would be obvious. And when they're not, an angry fucking mob is going to topple you. It will do that. If you don't do the right thing. So it's very, very clear what the people want. They um, want Spike Lee. <laughs> so then we're going to... God damn it. <laughs> Can I hit you? Hi. So then he goes down uh, to Engels and he says he points out that sometimes in certain parts of North America, for example, hmm, mm. again, this is a little dated though, the public power is weak. He has in mind a rare exception to capitalist society. Those parts of North America in its pre-imperialist days where the free colonists predominated, but the generally speaking, it grows stronger. So again, you know, the police weren't super strong when it was the colonies, but it, they grew because these were all white supremacist colonizers together. And again, they could get rich enough where they can they could succeed. Um, so they would defend in group their oppression of the natives when the natives fought back. Uh, but they wouldn't they wouldn't turn on their capitalist overlords because they'd just become rich and turn off again. And even when you talk about pre-imperialist days where the free colonists predominated, think back to what we were just talking about at the end of colonization and Marx. Yeah. When the mass of your people aren't under capital organized capitalism, when, you, yeah. when everyone's a free proprietor, they're working for themselves, the you're not going to get a... The police has no... The class is so nebulous. That was their problem. They couldn't force classes in very well in in colonial America because people would just keep wandering off for themselves and going and starting their own thing. Right. That 
doesn't lend itself very well to an organized police force or an organized military. So there's not some organized or, or super helping police force. And of course, again, you know, you're there oppressing and ethnically cleansing indigenous people. Oh, yeah. Those indigenous people fight back. Your interests as a whole, white colonizer, are going to be, you know, defend the colony. And they just do it. They don't need this organized everything, you know. So he points out, or I'm sorry, so he says, in the public power grows stronger, however, in proportion as class antagonisms within the state become more acute, and as adjacent state becomes larger and more populous. We have only to look at our present day Europe, where the class struggle and rivalry and conquest have tuned up the public power to such a pitch that it threatens to swallow the whole of society, even the state. So he's saying, yeah, basically. World War One. Um... And so he says the turn towards imperialism, meaning the complete domination of the trust, the omnipotence of the big banks and a grand scale colonial policy and so forth, was only just the beginning in France and it's even weaker North America and, and in Germany. And so, again, that's that's a little dated, but it kind of gives you a background of things going on at the time. And so he finishes uh, section two of chapter one with Engels could, as early as 1891, point to rivalry in conquest as one of the most important distinguishing features of the foreign policy of the great powers. Again, you know, we saw this in World War II. We talked about, you know, Japan uh, was bombing Pearl Harbor, and that's what brought the U.S. in because they wanted to take Philippine oil. Well, why the hell would the U.S. have to do with it? Because the Philippines were colonized by the U.S., yeah. you know, for I the mean, natural everything, resources. Everything, World War I, every single thing was a race to who can, I mean, it was risk. They it were was fighting all over Africa. They oh, were yeah. fighting all Divvy over all, everything. Divvy up the Middle East, divvy up everything, and, yeah. and see who can have what. Right. Um, so he says, well, the social chauvinist scoundrels have ever since 1914, when this rivalry many times intensified, gave rise to an imperialist war, been covering up the defense of predatory interests of their own bourgeoisie with phrases about defense of the fatherland, defense of the republic and the revolution, etc. War is almost always organized state based warfare is almost always in defense of of this structure. I mean, you look yeah. at it, it, it was always in defense of the ruling class's power. It never benefits the... the no. It's never to benefit the, the majority, the working class. It, it, it never. It is always oh, either yeah. in defense of their way of defending their current status quo or trying to grow their own ability to exploit. Yeah, they don't... Period. When the people say, you know, around the world, because America is widely hated by pretty well everyone around eh. the world. When people hate America, they don't hate you personally unless no. you're fighting to uphold the system or siding with it. They hate your oppressors because they're oppressing them worse. Yes. But you have the choice. You can fight against your oppressors and alongside the oppressed around the world. Or you can support your oppressors, whether passively by saying, look, man, not my problem. It's just too much to, to do this revolution. I can't do it. Yeah. Or certainly actively in support of them, whether that's just general applauding the troops or whether that's siding up for the fucking army yourself or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So in section three, an instrument of exploitation, the state, an instrument of exploitation of the oppressed class, Lenin says special laws are enacted proclaiming the sanctity and immunity of the officials. The shabbiest police servant has more authority than the representative of the Klan and not the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, the Klan, like the, the group uh, of people. C-L-A-N. <laughs> but even the head of the military power of a civilized state may very well envy the elder of the group of people, not the Ku Klux Klan, uh, the unrestrained suspect respect of society. This is... That is an officer of the law. Well, no, it's it's really interesting there is that it's, you know, the worst, you know, the meter maid theoretically has, will, will be able to put in place anyone, you know, you can be a big community leader and you still have no ability to fight 
you know, fight that government. But they're right. The, the, the envy of the unrestrained respect of society, if you are the elder of the clan, those people got there. You didn't have a lot of nepotism in becoming a clan elder or, or, or organizing a society or something like that back before there was state interest in it. And and no amount of stars on your... And again, we're seeing Marx almost to a certain extent losing it here. Like, or Sorry, I'm so Lenin. used to saying fucking Marx. Lenin, uh, I think he would be shocked. Even the head of the military power may envy... Uh, the unrestrained respect of society of a clan. Not anymore. <laughs> no, most. If you want one person that you can put on a pedestal and say, "All right, who's who's the best one?" You just put the most stars on someone. Yeah, shirt military general at shit. And point oh, there's that. John McCain, military war hero who can't fly a plane. Veteran. I mean, if you go to Walmart, if I go to Walmart tomorrow and buy a Vietnam veteran's hat and walk down the street, I mean, there'll be a couple people that won't figure it out for a couple minutes, and they'll just. I mean, just. Thank you for your service and all of this kind of just... It's the same bullshit, It's so yeah. over and over and yes. over again. It's this undeserved amount of... Yeah, yeah. Author- of, of, of reverence that I just... I don't understand. They don't... They don't deserve... Yeah, so... No. Even I mean, if they're even, not actively awful, you still don't no, have to elevate... again, that's what we're talking about. The good cops, bad cops, the good troops, bad troops. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're elevating all of them when you elevate even well, the good ones. Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, even when you're talking about, oh, they were drafted in the war. Well, they still participated in a fucking genocide. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, I mean what the hell do you think Vietnam was? Ali was outspoken. Ali was drafted. Then. Yeah, he, he said, fuck off. Yeah. Uh, so the question of the privileged position of the officials as organs of the state power is raised here. The main point indicated is, what is the that that places them above society? Well, yeah, I mean, ask that question. Yeah. Why are cops better than you? What makes them a hero? Why is the army better than you? Why are they benevolent? Why aren't they just people with fucking guns? Because they are. We shall see how the theoretical question was answered in the practice by the Paris Commune in 1871. Read Lenin's Paris Commune. I swear to God, that one's wonderful. Uh, Because the state arose from the need to hold class antagonisms in check, but because it arose at the same time in the midst of the conflict of these classes, it is, as a rule, the state of the most powerful economically dominant class, which through the medium of the state becomes also the most politically dominant class, and thus acquires new means of holding down and exploiting the oppressed class. You get arrested for shit if you're poor, but not if you're rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you... You can get laws in your favor, you know, if you're rich and get your lobbyists bought up, but not if you're not if you're poor. Well, no, you if you're, can, I mean, you can run than... a campaign and win governorship if you're rich, but not if you're poor. I mean, yeah, this I mean, is the state of the rich. You look at it the state of the. I mean, you can literally go. You can go into government. Dere- look, Enron. Go into government, deregulate an entire industry, be the head of deregulating the... Kenneth Lay deregulated the natural gas industry, uh-huh. and then as soon as he was done completely writing the rules for how natural gas would work, went to run Enron. I mean, you, you don't get that level of... You, you, yeah. you literally get to write your own rules and then go play by them and there's no restriction on it. It's insanity. <laughs> yeah, so he says, The modern representative state is an instrument of exploitation of wage labor by capital. By way of exception, however, periods occur in which the warring classes balance each other out so nearly that the state of power is as ostensible mediator acquires, for the moment, a certain degree of independence of both. So at some point, they do have to, like, sort of... Take your side in theory, like look like they're taking Mag- your side. Magna Carta, yeah. Uh, again, the, all of the the ceremonial parliaments that we talked about in the introduction. Yeah, but they're, they're really not doing anything to give you actual power. None. So, and then a little lower, um, Lenin talks first about you know the the Soviets and and 
how uh, Kerensky, who is the leader of the Mensheviks, yeah. uh, was was pushing away the Soviets in, in favor of the petty bourgeois Democrats in the in the Dumas. And he says, in democratic republic, Engels continues, wealth exercises its power indirectly, but all the more surely, first by means of the direct corruption of officials. Parentheses. America. <laughs> wow, that only got worse, guys. Yeah. Second, by all means of an alliance of the government and the stock exchange, parentheses, France and America. <laughs> flip that, flip that in reverse it, Miss Elliot, because holy crap, if we didn't perfect that. <laughs> holy cow. Uh, now he talks a little bit about the SRs and their little honeymoon yeah. and the Dumas and some bribery and things like that. We and all know. I, and he says, the reason why omnipotence of wealth is more certain in a democratic republic is that it does not depend on defects in the political machinery or on the faulty shell of capitalism. A democratic republic is the best possible political shell for capitalism and therefore once again has gained possession of the very best shell. It reestablishes its power so securely, so firmly that no change of persons, institutions, or parties in the bourgeoisie democratic republic can shake it. I will repeat, it establishes its power so securely, so firmly, that no change of persons, institutions, or parties in the bourgeoisie democratic republic can shake it. You are not you are not going to elect Casio Cortez and magically have the power crumble down. You're not going to elect any combination no, of these people. No. Ever. No. It can't there are going to be people that, that give in to society's demands more, and partly because their own ideology maybe reflects it. But again, you know, that's that's these small these small conflict yeah. revolutions, and they're always going to side with the ruling class somehow. Just look, I mean, again, but just even look in this country about how it is structured. Yeah. How we have structured. We don't elect everyone at once. We elect on staggered cycles to ensure that you always have this kind of centralized old guard that it's very hard to get out of. There's checks and balances, which the, not only hold, don't hold that much power when you're fucking president, because you yeah. have a whole army on your side, as long as you're doing something in the ideology of the white supremacy right wing imperialists of the of the country, you could do whatever you want. I mean, you do that against that, the party, the the army is going to turn on you. We we gerrymand, we do everything else in the world. Yeah. To, we ensure, and again, then we do, and then we have such an inscrutable structure of local, state, federal, all of the different levels. It, it is literally not possible to just go to the poll. Well, if we just get everyone on the same page, we go. Yeah. They don't even make a they don't even make election day a fucking holiday. Do you think they give a fuck about who you do or don't elect? Yeah, they don't care. They don't buy their own democratic, you know, words. They don't buy freedom. No. They know the freedom stuff's bullshit. Yes. They know freedom and democracy is bullshit when they're toppling elected people with coups. Yeah. They know that. You know, they don't give a shit. Yeah. But, I mean, on top of that, just look at what's socially acceptable. Uh, you had, you know, Alan Omar, again, you know, she's not perfect. She kind of plays a little bit in the Democrat good, Republican bad, Venezuela can still be bad type thing, even when she was attacking Elliot Abrams for his genocides yeah. in the past, which is more, you know, I mean... Elliot Abrams, he isn't just a ghoul of the Reagan era. He's in charge of Venezuela, and his specific playbook was to claim humanitarian aids and ship guns to Contras, who were fascists that genocided in very malicious ways the people there. And he's sending humanitarian aid, and Venezuela has already intercepted an Airbus that is full of weapons. They're sending down weapons so that the opposition, quote-unquote, ruled by Guiado and the Colombians and the Brazilians can come in and genocide the Venezuelans that you're supposedly fighting for with these fucking weapons. That's Abrams' playbook. It's not even that he's not... 
it's one thing to not go to the fucking Hague for fucking war crimes. It's another thing to get rehired to do more war crimes. By but it's to rehired and to play it the same way, obviously, on your sleeve and have people pretending like you're being genuine with your lies. It's the same fucking lies. We have his playbook. We you, saw it. I've Jeff Fisher is not going to be different when you hire him to his next football team, goddammit. He's going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. He's going to run freaking run-up-the-middle plays. You can't change old dogs' new tricks. Yeah, so, I mean, but even with her standing up to that, you know, she just stood up to that, and she stood up a little bit about Israel, and look how they fucking came oh, down on her, so you know? But you better believe she's not going to change anything. They're already taking her off House Foreign... Well, they're threatening to yeah. take her off House Foreign Affairs Committee, and, you know, and all these committees don't have that much power. They're no, they're, they're, they're also in the, the fucking House of Representatives. It is the most diluted, meaningless... Yeah. Show it was intended to be a placate for the masses and it never changed. It's never been anything. It doesn't even that. have the power of the Senate. It, which doesn't even have that much fucking power. And the House has look less. at what's look at what's happening now at the Fed. Literally, there is no you talk about fucking other dictators. What what level of complete power of a executive do you yeah, need what, what can for you, before that's authoritarian? Yeah, I mean let's talk about the American it. government and its great checks and balances. It's a guy who runs the whole army. Yep. Who could just veto everything that the uh, uh, legislative branch does, unless there's two thirds of them in both houses on your side, um, and and nothing says he can't just go fucking Yeltsin and bomb them and and just take it. You know, the only thing that stopped that in the past when there's disagreements is the power disagreements aren't big enough to risk having the public turn on him. Yeah. You know, if, and because ninety percent of the time, everyone in both of those bodies are of the same class and of aligned right, interests. Same You're interest. never gonna have yeah. that much conflict in that yeah. group of people. And then you have you have seven people. Is it no nah. nine people? Nine people. Nine people who were never elected who just get to rule for life. And if you have ever convinced yourself, deluded yourself into thinking that the Supreme Court is a left, the Supreme Court is, over its grand history of all time, forever, been a reactionary institution. And they very much are right now. They are right now. They have been all of eternity. There are, like, pocket cases where they accidentally do the right thing, and most of the time that is 20 to 30 years too fucking late, and it's only after they've made a couple more agree. Oh, Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah, but you fucking did Dred Scott, and yeah. you, like guys, it doesn't. And, work and it's that after way. the public's already going away from that stuff too. You know, yeah. I mean, they didn't legalize abortion because like th it suddenly the Supreme Court dawned it down. The public was already going that yeah. way. Gay, you know, look, you know, gay marriage was going to be legal in this country. It was already slowly but surely. I guarantee you, in twenty years, there'll be some fucking marijuana. Like fifteen years from now, mark my words, when there's like. Two states that don't have legalized marijuana completely yeah, decriminalized. Be then there'll be a Supreme Court ruling, and we'll we'll pat Ruth Bader Ginsburg's rotting corpse on the pat. Yeah. for her. And and even then, all their ruling is like blah blah blah. Where they're waiting till a case comes to them. Yes. Which is elevated by rich enough lawyers and supporters of the case yeah. and things. Which again, the amount of the amount of money if you to get the, something to if you court, research yeah. the history of that Second Amendment, the Heller versus DC gun case that that took the Second Amendment and got it. it, it, it made handgun bans illegal. And whether you agree with that or not, it doesn't matter. The amount of planning and money that went into doing that, it is not an institution in defense of the masses. It's just not. And it's yeah. never going to be the way it's structured. Yeah. 
Um, so, and then you, you have, again, the weak legislative branch that we just said. Oh, yeah, no, there So, was. and supposedly they have these great checks and balances, and they really don't. There's no fucking... There, no. There's nothing. No. And, and it's supposed to be, like, impeachment of the president. Like, oh, the executive branch he runs, that he appointed all the people for. Theoretically, your check on the judicial is what? That you could... That the legislative branch could theoretically impeach a judge? Well, I mean, what 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 is the judicial branch going to do if you just ignore the law, though? If yeah, you're the executive branch, you just... You say, oh, the Supreme Court ruled that you can't do this, and you just fucking do it. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, what are they going to do? It's, I mean, we're, gonna finding come out, with the, we're finding out right now. They, yeah, I mean, are they, are they going to come with, with the uh, the Supreme Court's army and knock I, down your army? I, it's not going to fucking happen. It's, it's insanity. All right, so we're going to go on and we're going to go down back to the... Uh, we're talking about the universal suffrage, the idea that voting will bring us anything. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about the petty bourgeois Democrats, the SRs and the Menjeviks. And uh, he says they just expect more universal suffrage. Oh, hey, if we just make... If we, if we take the the veil we put it back on a little bit we do make election day a holiday we do slow down some of the gerrymandering it's not going to totally fix the class relations it says they themselves share and instill in the minds of the people the false notion that universal suffrage in the present day state is really capable of revealing the will of the minority or majority to the working people and securing its realization hey if we can just vote a little bit better for the bourgeoisie representatives we'll totally have all the power that's how this works and Lenin just he mocks it and he mocks it for for a couple of pages so yeah, yeah we'll just re- we'll just do that big pull quote it's it's got the idea yep okay and uh so the next thing we're going to go down to is for the withering away of the state and violent revolution holy crap is that an important section yeah i mean to give you a little overview before we go in it we'll do direct quotes uh marx and engels talk about the withering away of the state and lenin's coming back and saying it's not a withering away of the bourgeoisie state yeah and that and again, you don't just wither away America. The, this is when you're talking about perversions and the twisting. Yeah. This is one of the, if not the prime one of this book, in my opinion, is the debate between when they said withering away of the state, this got bastardized into, well, if we just wait, the state will just slowly regress. And then it got co-opted by anarchists in the sense of the state's just going to go away and we have no state. And it's and that's just, it, the, and it was a completely ignoring what they actually said, and that's what Lenin takes up here. Yeah, now there's a big quote from Anti During. Um, we're going to jump to right past that because that's a yeah, long I'm about quote. To say it, yeah, we, we can get there better. <laughs> uh, we're going to say it is safe to say this argument of Engels, which is so remarkably rich in ideas, only one point has become an integral part of the socialist thought among the modern socialist party namely, that according to Marx, the state withers away. Oh, capitalism will just crumble on itself. It totally, and this is for the people that, that won't realize this stuff turns into fascism. Oh, Capitalism is killing itself. This is late stage capitalist rot. Well, it is, but that rot just rots into fascism. It's not going to collapse on its own. You have to topple it. So it says, as distinct from the anarchist doctrine of the abolition of the state, which, I mean, again, you will get this a lot with Lenin. Um, Lenin thinks that anarchists theory is lacking. There's some foolishness to it. And he's completely with Marx on what those criticisms are. But he believes anarchists to be genuine. But misguided. Yeah, misguided. He thinks that all the social Democrats are opportunists. There's no way they would be that stupid. No. Democrats, or uh, I'm sorry, Democrats, social Democrats, uh, anarchists are pretty damn smart as far as like, I mean, they're not they're not so stupid that you don't believe them. You know, they really think they genuinely we, believe what we got. We got to topple this state. This is bullshit. We yes. got to topple it. So, I mean, they're, they're at least smart enough to get that far. So you can believe them. But they think that that you could topple it and and not create a new state to defend it until these classes wither away. 
and that's not 100 percent absolutely not yeah and, and so I, lenin is like oh yeah anarchists are comrades but they also can't be in charge because they're dumbasses whereas social democrats there's no way anyone would be that stupid they have to be opportunists yeah and, and that's again, a theme is, in this book big this time. is really this is also a really important distinction <laughs> people that attack uh the ussr communism in general mm-hmm. and, and socialist states Point authoritarian. They, they, well, no, but they use that wither. They use this concept to show to say, well, they weren't really doing communism or socialism because there's still a bureaucracy and a state. So it hasn't not, withered away. It yet, hasn't yeah. went, that it is, it, and we skipped the editor. It's literally not what they said. They they literally never expected this current state to wither away and then communism pops up. It's it's it's. A historical, it's wrong. It's just inaccurately quoting them. Yeah, and and that's what this whole yeah they expect about. you to create the the communist state and take it through a transition where you're you're kind of peeling away the remaining class relations until there's no need for a state because there's no class, which is going to require a long period of a quote unquote authority. You. Yeah, and, it, and it's going to have to require it to be totally international. And nobody in the Soviet Union wanted just what they called communism in one country. They did it because they have to. Yeah. That's why they did they that. They wanted world communism. They, they thought it would... That, that what do you I think mean, the Soviet Union is made of so many different countries? Yeah. And again, they said communism in one country. It wasn't one country. No. There was the Russian SR. There was the Ukrainian Greenness. SR. There was the DDR. There was uh, Bel- Belarusian SR. There was Mongolian SR. What is that little country that only the Soviet Union's ever recognized that's between Mongolia and Russia? I can't think of the name of it. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pull that up later. Um, Kazakhstan. No, no, no. Kazakhstan about, is completely different. I'm, 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 I'll, 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 help, I'll help figure that out later. Um, but there's definitely a country that only the Soviet Union has ever recognized. It's between Mongolia and, and Russia um, because of an indigenous population. It's Sealand, yeah, isn't it? It's, no, it's, I'm going to kick you. Uh, so anyway, um, so Lenin goes back to prune Marxism to such an extent means reducing it to opportunism. Mm-hmm. For this interpretation only leaves a vague notion of slow, even gradual change of absent of leaps and storms and absent of revolution. Hey, the slow progress of neoliberalism, the slow, if you just wait long enough, everything will get better, march of time, democratic slogan for the last, what, 50 years? Can yeah, we yeah. I mean, if, if you've ever been duped in DSA or know someone who is, just just remind them that the Soviet Union actually happened, and so Lenin would know a little something, mm-hmm. and then show them part four of chapter one of State and Revolution and go, look, right there, Marx and Engels said this, not Lenin, and Lenin correctly pointed it out, and all these people you're listening to are dumbass. They're, they're just Kautsky. Uh, unless you want Nazis here, don't be Kautsky. Don't be Kautsky. <laughs> So such an interpretation, however, is the crudest distortion of Marxism, Mm -hmm. advantageous only to the bourgeoisie. In point of theory, it is based on disregard of the most important circumstances and considerations indicated in, say, Engel's summary argument, which we've just quoted in full. We didn't quite quote here. We didn't quote it. But you can you could read it in here. It's a good quote. Um, But we're we're taking the Lenin summary and it's 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 working out a little better. Yeah. Um, In the first place, at the very outset of his argument, Engels says that in seizing state power, the proletariat thereby abolishes the state as state. It is not considered quite proper to ponder over the meaning of this. Generally, it is either ignored altogether or it is considered to be part of something in the nature of Hegelian weakness on Engels' part. As a matter of fact, and again, you know, these people are just critiquing Engels. They just know better. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, however, these words briefly express the experience of one of the greatest proletarian revolutions, the Paris Commune of 1871, of which we shall speak in greater detail in its proper place. And again, I would read 
uh, Lenin Paris, Paris Commune. Commune, but he does go into a little more detail in State and Revolution. I think Chapter it. Three is very yeah, heavily it's on pretty Paris pretty Commune. heavily on it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Engels speaks here of the proletarian revolution abolishing the bourgeoisie state, while the words about the state withering away from, to the remnants of the proletarian state after the socialist revolution. According to Engels, the bourgeoisie state does not wither away, but is abolished, abolished by the proletariat in the course of revolution. What withers away after the revolution is the proletarian state, or the semi-state. Second, the state is a special coercive force. Engels gives the splendid and extremely profound definition here with utmost lucidity. And from it evolves that the special coercive force for the suppression of the proletariat by the bourgeoisie of millions of working people by handfuls of the rich must be replaced by a special coercive force for the suppression of the bourgeoisie by the proletariat, dictatorship of the proletariat. And so, so that's, it comes from anti-during, comes from angles. So fucking important. That is, mm -hmm. that is it. And this is where you need to be, when you talk about this, con we're anti-authoritarian, we're going to have this nebulous free, and Lenin will get into it specifically. No, we're getting into it in the next couple seconds. I'm not even going to talk about it. Keep yeah. going. Okay. So it is self-evident that such a placement of one bourgeoisie special force by another proletarian special force cannot possibly take place in the form of withering away. Third, in speaking of the state withering away, an even more graphic and colorful dying down of itself, Engels refers quite clearly and definitely to the period after the state has taken possession of the means of production and the name of the whole society. That is, after the Socialist Revolution. We all know that the political form of the state at the time is most complete democracy. So you actual real democracy if the workers are ruling. Yes, exactly. You don't have to be rich to be represented. No, it will be full one-to-one, one -one, you know. Yeah, you what you believe actually matters in the group of things, yes. and true majority rule happens. But it never enters the head of any of the opportunists who shamelessly distort Marxism that Engels is consequently speaking here of democracy dying down of itself or withering away. This seems very strange at first sight, but also incomprehensible only to those who have not thought about democracy also being a state and consequently disappearing when the state disappears. Revolution alone can abolish the bourgeoisie state in general. The most complete democracy can only wither away. So what he's talking about is as class withers away, then you really will. There, I mean, as long you as there's class, there's need, no such thing as something that's common sense for everyone. You don't need democracy to you legislate right. when, you're, when, you're, when there is no class conflict. You don't need it. Right, right. I mean, there'll still be people that do solutions, and they'll be at the behest of the masses. They'll be expunged from ability to do that solution by the masses, but the masses will have the power. You don't need democracy. The masses are, are naturally a democracy. They will tell you if you're fucking up. Yeah. You know, and there's not going to be this big conflict of interest because there aren't these class interests to conflict. Yeah. So as fourth, after formulating his famous proposition, the state withers away, Engels at once explains specifically that this proposition is directed against both the opportunists and the anarchists. Mm -hmm. In doing this, Engels puts in the forefront the conclusion, drawn from the proposition, that the state withers away, which is directed against the opportunists. So he's telling you, again, the opportunists are the people, and, and, and Lenin is distincting opportunists from anarchists. Opportunists are the people that are just taking these words and saying, oh yeah, it'll just wither away on their own. Anarchists are not opportunists. They genuinely care and they want the state 
overthrown. But they're foolish that they're not taking the time for it to wither away. They want it to just be gone after their revolution, and that can't happen. And they don't see the value of that transitor of that transitionary right. state that is going to be necessary right. to and, get us to that point. And so Angles is saying, "Hey, both of you, we need this transitionary state, but the transitionary state is what will wither away. And anyone who thinks otherwise either doesn't want the transitionary state and is foolish, or expects the regular state, the bourgeoisie state, to wither away, which is." Just opportunist. No one's that stupid. You're an opportunist. You're, and you're you haven't thing. actually read what the fuck we're talking right. about. Like you're, right. you're, you're jumping into it without any sort of theoretical grounding. Absolutely. So as one can wager that out of every 10,000 people who have read or heard about the withering away of the state, 9,990 are completely unaware, do not remember that Engels directed his conclusions from that proposition not against the anarchist alone. And so, again, you know, people take it as just a criticism of anarchism. And the remaining 10, probably 9, do not know the meaning of the free people state or why an attack on the slogan means an attack on opportunists. This is how history is written. This is how great revolutionary teaching is imperceptibly falsified and adapted of prevailing Philistinism. This is how you get the soft version of MLK. Mm-hmm. And, again, that free people state is such a... Stu- this concept that you're going to have that you're 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 going to get to the revolution and you're going to get to this overthrow and it's just going to be like everyone for everyone man and everyone's going to be on the same team we're all going to be high fiving that's fine if you think we're going to get there are you also on board with lining up and executing every one of the capitalists because that is the only way you're going to get that little idealistic fairy tale. Yeah, I mean, the only reason the Paris Commune immediately became a, a worker state is because all the capitalists fled. And yeah, I'm sorry, they, they got to go somewhere. Yeah. Until they're off this earth, yeah. they're going to be a problem for so us. You, the, As you saw the Paris Commune, when they came back and retook shit. The the, the free people... When you're railing against authoritarianism and stuff like that, you need to realize that you're against authoritarianism against the masses against the working class against the proletariat but when this transitionary state happens it is absolutely going to be authoritarian because you are going to have to the natural inclination of the capitalist is going to be look at venezuela look at it in cuba yeah. they're going to do ev- they will lie cheat steal do what say whatever they have to food. do we'll get into like kulaks destroying farms they, at some point. they will do they will claw with their last dying breath to keep the power structure they have. They're not yeah. going to just peacefully walk away and yeah. let you do this. You're oh, yeah. going to need a state to keep them in check and to and to basically the, hold them down. The Venezuelan opposition is very racist. They were lynching people in the street, burning them alive a couple of years ago. They were destroying food for school children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd run in the same thing here. You know, I mean, it's not a monolith. It's not like we have revolution, you know, tomorrow and all of a sudden all the people with like, don't tread on me, bumper stickers and thin blue line Punisher things on the back of their trucks aren't going to grab out guns and start going after black people and starting to topple shit back. We're going to have to let them. And how do you not let them? Well, some amount of authority or authoritarianism. You're going to realize you outnumber them, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. And that doesn't mean that a very, they have resources they have. And they, I mean, this is not going to be an easy thing. And if you think it's just going to kumbaya itself, you're out of your mind. And until those people either die off without getting to share their ideas, because again, if they die off, it doesn't matter if they share their ideas, they'll birth another one. Yeah, I'm about to say the Covington kids. doesn't, yeah. yeah, yeah. Old so so you can't, I mean, you, you're not just going to get this, and this is where people say, by the way, you know, the millennials are just come and take over this this new generations. It's not going to happen that now. way. No. You, you have to, like, make their ideas so taboo they can't even express them yes. at all. Like, completely ban them, which is authoritarian. It's not both sides in this open 
open debate shit. That's why they want this open debate. They just want to platform their ideas. You have to make sure that Jordan Peterson can't civil speak. Discu- civil discourse that. means that the, the Klan can get up there with Black Lives Matter because they have equal share of the time. Right. I mean, you can't have that. You have to, like, take that away, and then they can die off, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and then your authoritarian ism can wither away. But until then, as long as those people are still alive and or someone they've shared their ideas with is still alive until those things die. Yeah. You can't wither anything away because they'll react violently. Look at Nazis. It's it, we fucking Yeah. You would think They're still around. You would think that we would have realized that's a bad idea. And yet, we didn't squash that one quite enough because No, we recruited them into the government. We're fucking back. Yeah. Uh, so the free people state was a program demanded and a catchword current among the German social democrats in the 1870s. This catchword is devoid of all political content, except that it describes the concept of democracy in a pompous Philistine fashion. Yeah. We are in favor of a democratic republic as the best form of a state for the proletariat under capitalism. But we have no right to forget that wage slavery is the lot of the people, even in the most democratic bourgeoisie republic. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. So we don't want a monarchy. We get that. Yeah. But we're still stuck in wage slavery, even yeah. with that. That's the, not a solution. We have to get rid of the capitalism. Furthermore, every state is a special force for the suppression of the oppressed class. Consequently, every state is not free and not a people state. Marx and Engels explain this repeatedly to their primary comrades in the, party comrades in the 70s, 1870s. 1870s. All right. Um, do you want to read Engels' argument? Uh, yeah. Okay, why don't you read that, because I can take a breath. I gotcha. Fifth, the same work of Engels, whose arguments about the withering away of the state, of the state everyone remembers, also contains an argument of the significance of violent revolution. Engels' historical analysis of its role becomes a veritable panegyric? 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 Panegyric. Sure. Yeah. On I'm not going to be the pronunciation expert of that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Engels' historical analysis of its role becomes a veritable brouhaha on violent revolution. I don't know. This, no one remembers. It is rare in modern socialist parties to talk or even think about the significance of this idea, and it plays no part whatever in their daily propaganda and agitation among the people. And yet it is inseparably bound up with the withering away of the state into one harmonious whole. Here is Engels' argument. That force, however, plays yet another role, other than that of diabolical power, in history. A revolutionary role. That, in the words of Marx, is the midwife of every old society which is pregnant with a new one. Yeah, we we read that last time. Yeah. That is the instrument with which social movement forces its way through and shatters the dead, fossilized political forms. Of this there is not a word in air during. It is only with sighs and groans that he admits the possibility that force will perhaps be necessary for the overthrow of an economy based on exploitation. Unfortunately, because all use of force demoralizes, he says, the person who uses it, and in spite of this, the immense moral and spiritual impetuous which has been given by every victorious revolution, and this in Germany, where a violent collision, which may after all be forced on the people, would at least have the advantage of wiping out the civility which has penetrated the nation's mentality following the humiliation of the Thirty Years' War. And this Parsons' mode of thought, dull, insipid, and impotent, presumes to impose itself on the most revolutionary party that history has ever known. Stop yeah. dumbing shit down. Yeah, I mean, basically, oh my god, if you're violent, you're just as bad as them. How the fuck did any revolution happen if that was the case? Yeah. This is... <laughs> Otherwise, all revolutions are bad. Yeah. And uh, not all revolutions are bad. That's why we have revolutions. How can this diatribe on violent revolution, which Marx, which Engels incessantly brought to the attention of the GPD, 
between 1878 and 1894, right up until the time of his death, be combined with the theory of the withering away of the state to form a single theory. It can't. You're just picking and choosing. Yep. All Which... right. So I'll go ahead and pick up, and I'm going to pick up about halfway down the next uh, paragraph. Rocket. In falsifying Mark, oop, 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 I overscrolled. Nope, don't do that. Uh, okay, in falsifying Marxism in the opportunist fashion, the substitute of ecclesialism for dialectics is the easiest way of deceiving the people. Hey, we don't have this dialectic um, conflict. Everyone's working together. We just need to find the right solution. Eclecticism. Pick and choose the parts that we think are nice until we form our little thing, and then we're happy. Yeah, Yay. yeah. You get here, we get here. Nice little compromise. Everything's Even about if they're contradictory theories. Right. Everything's about figuring out how kids can play with toys together. You What's know, the not third life way? and death. What's the third the way? The third way. <laughs> it gives an illusory satisfaction. It seems to take into account all sides of the process. Oh man. They Just all sides did. Lenin all sides did. Yeah. All trends of development, all conflicting influences, so forth. Whereas in reality, it provides no integral and revolutionary conception of the process of social development at all. It says, hey, you guys are dumbasses. Yeah, you're you're just not you're just and it's it's not even necessarily that. You're not dumb. You're just acknowledge what you're doing. Acknowledge you're picking and choosing. Acknowledge mm-hmm. that you are not sticking to any sort of moral or ethical quandary. You're just using what works at the time to get what you want. Yeah. Okay, so there's a little more about Katsky um, you know, betraying Marx and Engels. And the last thing I'm going to say is the second to last paragraph here. The suppression of bourgeoisie state by the proletarian state mm. is impossible without a violent revolution. Yeah. The abolition of the proletarian state, i.e. of the state in general, is impossible except through the process of withering away. You're never going to over... You're never going to just wait for a bourgeois state to wither away. It won't and die. you're never going to violently overthrow... A, prolet- a dictatorship of the proletariat, like that will naturally, as if it is constructed as such, will wither away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's very, very specific there, and it's it's right on it. I mean, it's yeah. pretty simple. And that's what we have today for chapter and one. And that's chapter one. And, uh, and, and that was an hour and a half for what amounted to roughly 10 pages of text. So <laughs> while we are out of, while we are out of the gauntlet that is, uh, is capital. Don't think for a second that this is going to get short, people. Oh, no, but I mean, it's so much good content. It, 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 no, and it is, and that's, that's, the whole point of this is, again, we, it, it, there is a lot here to unpack. There is a, a hundred years, essentially, of, of history, of societal context, of things that you have been lied to and, and mistold and misinformed and everything else under the sun that we've got to unpack here, so it it's going to take some time, but God damn it, we're going to get there. Yeah, so thank you guys for joining us once again. We will continue with chapter two and through... As far as cha- we can go, because yeah, let's be real. Don't, six, don't make any ambitions. It took two. us an hour and a half to get through chapter All right, one. we'll try with at least chapter two next time. That Until good. then, bye! bye.